Hey, let's take our Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Pastor's been preaching a series of messages about the main characters of the Christmas narrative. And I'd like to speak to you tonight about a couple of the lesser characters of the Christmas narrative. The couple of the lesser characters. And that's Simeon and Anna is mentioned in Luke chapter 2 and uh, verses 21 through 38. And uh, we won't read the entire passage. We're going to read probably the first like four verses and then we'll make some remarks and then we'll continue right on through to uh, the end of that text at verse 38. Uh, but uh, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, the scriptures read this. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now skip with me to, um, uh, to a verse... Let's see, let's make it short here. Let's skip with me to verse 20, uh, 29. This is Simeon now. He has uh, the Christ child in his arms and he says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to preach your word tonight. Thank you, God, for your word. I love you, Lord. I love your word. I pray, Lord, that I'd be speaking to people who are hungry and thirsty for you, for your word, for righteousness in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on the days and maybe a whole nother year ahead, should you not come. And Lord, we will wait uh, with patience, as did these saints here, for your next return. In Jesus' name, amen. So Simeon and Anna, going back to uh, those first four verses that we read, the, we want to make this remark that Jewish families in these first four verses, uh, as we see here, they went through several ceremonies after a baby's birth and soon after a baby's birth. Uh, one was circumcision, and then uh, that's, uh, every boy was circumcised and named on the eighth day. After birth, and that's described and prescribed by the law of the people of Israel um, in Leviticus 12, verse 3, and then uh, it's mentioned already by Luke in Luke chapter 1, verses 59 and 60. So, circumcision symbolized the Jews' separation from the Gentiles and that they had this unique relationship with God. And uh, redemption, number two, um, the second uh, ceremony after a baby's birth was redemption. And it was redemption of the firstborn. And so a firstborn son was presented to God one month after birth. So eight days and then one month. And that's discussed in the Old Testament in Exodus 13, verse 2, Exodus 13, verse 11 to 16, and Numbers 18. And this ceremony included buying back, redeeming, 
the child from God through offering. And this way, parents acknowledge that the child that they now have as their firstborn belonged first to God. And that God is the one who alone has the power to give life. And I don't know about you, but, but our firstborn was indeed very precious. God took our firstborn from us, and within minutes it was born premature. And then God gave us our oldest son, Micah, who's going to India at the end of next month. And while he was a baby in that cradle, we, I, I wept every day in gratitude to the Lord and said, Lord, you take him, you use him, you take him anywhere you want. And, uh, and in my heart, there was sacrificial tears and offerings made every day out of gratitude for the gift um, of that oldest boy God gave us. And then the third ceremony is purification. And that's discussed in Leviticus chapter 12. And uh, purification of the mother. So for 40 days after the birth of a son and 80 days after the birth of a daughter, the mother was considered ceremonially unclean and could not enter the temple. And then at the end of that time of separation, the parents were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or a pigeon for a sin offering. The priest would sacrifice these animals and a dove or a pigeon uh, could be offered uh, um, if they couldn't afford a lamb. The priest would sacrifice these animals and then declare the mother to be ceremonially clean again. So parents opted for either of those sacrifices, a lamb or uh, a, a dove or a pigeon. And I've often thought to myself, you know, Mary and Joseph brought uh, turtle doves or two young pigeons. And I thought to myself, were they really in that much poverty? Or is it because they had the Lamb of God? They didn't need to sacrifice him. He would be sacrificed later. So they offered the alternate. But think about this. Jesus was God's son. Mary and Joseph, they conformed to those Old Testament laws and ceremonies. Jesus was not born as being above the law. Instead, Jesus fulfilled it perfectly. And you know, this occurs in Jesus' life again at his baptism. And John says, John the Baptist says, I don't have need to, I can't baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so. For thus it is to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill it. So Jesus didn't give himself a get out of jail card when it came to the law and fulfilling righteousness. Our Savior fulfilled the law to the uttermost. And he is, as Pastor preached not long ago, he is not only um, the Son of God, he is God the Son. He's man's perfect God, and he's God's perfect man. Now, we go on to verse 25. It says, Behold, there is a man in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon, and the same man was just and devout. You might want to mark those words, if you don't mind marking or highlighting in your own Bible, just and devout. Two important qualities in, in an older man. 
And then it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and that is a prophetic description of Messiah. And then it says, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. You might want to mark that phrase too, Holy Ghost, in verse 25. Verse 26, I call your attention to several words in. It says, by the Holy Ghost. And then verse 27, by the Spirit. Notice the frequency of the use of the reference to the Holy Ghost, to the Spirit of God. So not only uh, uh, should us old guys and older guys be uh, um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, but they should be just and devout. So anyway, verse 26 says, It was revealed unto him, this is unto Simeon, by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now you say to yourself, well, wait a second. You know, was, was, was Dr. Luke around for the delivery? How does he know all of this? How does Dr. Luke know to write all of this? Well, we could, you know, we could impose that the Spirit of God moved him to write those things, and of course that's also true. But it's also very practical to think that Dr. Luke, uh, as a disciple of Christ, uh, spent time with Mary, who continued to follow her son all the way to the cross. And it's, it's practical to believe that, that Dr. Luke and the other disciples spent many hours uh, discussing with Mary the early life of the Savior. And so... Dr. Luke references these early days of the Savior, probably based on his interviewing Mary. So this begins with verse 25, Jerusalem. Then verse 27, it says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Now, think with me about this. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell believers, believers of God, Jehovah God. They, uh, they had the experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and temporarily to perform these different uh, acts and miracles for God's kingdom. Why? Because the Jews always seek a sign. <laughs> but also because that's how God... Uh, communicated and dictated his word to us in the Old Testament through those different empowering moments and events in the life of Old Testament prophets and saints. So he's having one of those Old Testament experiences. The New Testament hasn't begun until Christ's death and resurrection. So we're still in the Old Testament, an intertestamental period, as some theologians like to describe it. And so, and so, verse 25, the Holy Ghost is upon him. Verse 26, it's revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. What? That he should not see what? Death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ simply means the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah, and, uh, and so it says, he, meaning Simeon, he came by the Spirit into the temple. You know, it's always a good thing when you gather with other believers that you do it by the Spirit. Amen? <laughs> and uh, it says, he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, those are those ceremonies that we've discussed already. It says, he took him up in his arms. 
and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Wow. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So think with me now, he's in Jerusalem, he wanders into the temple being led of the Spirit. You know, it makes me, re, makes me recall Dr. Luke writes similarly of Philip the Evangelist, that he was led by the Spirit. Um, and, and it's a special thing. But Simeon wanders into the temple led by the Spirit, and he immediately recognizes the Christ child, child Jesus, as it says in verse 27. And uh, it doesn't say he asked, it says he took. <laughs> and uh, I'll have to ask for an instant replay of that moment someday in heaven, amen? When Simeon sees the, the, the Christ child. And then as the narrative, the historical narrative continues here, it says, you know, that, that he... He blesses God. He blurts out with strong emotion the scriptures that he already knows. And, and he's quoting here, Simeon is quoting here in uh, verses 31 and 32, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. He's quoting that passage. Now, verse 32, the Jews were well acquainted with this Old Testament passage, with these Old Testament prophecies that spoke of Messiah's coming blessings to the nation. They didn't always give equal attention to the prophecies, stating that He would bring salvation to the entire world, though. The Jews were a, 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 a very proud and, and secluded religious sect. So, they didn't recognize that God's about to do something for the whole world, not just the Jews. And many thought that Christ had come to save only His own people. And the Gospel of John chapter 1 makes that clear. He came unto His own, the Jews. He came unto His own in His own what? Received Him not. Alright? So many thought that Christ had come to save only the Jewish people. But those who peered deeply into the Scriptures and who they had the understanding of the Holy Spirit recognized that God's going to do far greater than just that. So Luke made sure his Greek audience understood that Christ had come to save all who believe, Gentiles as well as Jews. Now verse 33, it says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Joseph and Mary were amazed when this old man took their son into his arms and spoke these stunning words. Simeon said that Jesus himself was salvation from God. Jesus himself is salvation from God. He doesn't mention rituals, religious ceremonies. No, he says it with a child in his arms. I have seen thy salvation. And then <clears throat> he recognized Jesus as the Messiah who would be a light to the entire world. This was at least, at least the second time that Mary had been greeted with a prophecy about her son. I believe the first time that there's a prophecy uttered is by the angels, not by Elizabeth. But then Elizabeth is, 
counts. She had a prophetic moment. And that's in Luke chapter 1, verses 42, 43, where she says to Mary when they meet up, remember, they're cousins. And Mary and Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon prophesies that Jesus is going to have this contradictory or paradoxical effect on the nation, the people of Israel. He, he prophesies that some are going to fall because of the child, as prophesied in Isaiah 8, while others would rise. That's mentioned in Malachi 4. So with Jesus, there's no neutral ground. People would either joyfully receive Him or totally reject Him. And as Jesus' mother Mary would also, by prophecy here, be grieved someday by the widespread rejection that her son would face, and indeed by his crucifixion. Now verse 36, and there was one Anna, we turn our attention now, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asser. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And so Anna here in verse 36 is called a prophetess. She's a female prophet indicating that she was unusually close to God. You know, I believe that there are people gifted in the local assembly that they can't take the title. There are women gifted in the local assembly. While they cannot take the title of pastor, they have the gift of prophecy. And they can speak truth into our lives if we let them. And if we're listening and if we're careful and attentive. There are women in our assembly that are gifted with that bold desire to speak truth and call out sin. <laughs> and uh, that's not the same as that's not an excuse to gossip. <laughs> that's, an, that's actually a biblical mandate to go uh, lovingly challenge a person who has a fault. Now, Anna is called a prophetess, a female prophet, and uh, the main role of prophets in the Old Testament was not by necessity to just predict things, to predict things. Prophets were also foretellers, not just foretellers. Prophets were foretellers. And now verse 37, it says, She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant, that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. You know, people still travel to Jerusalem looking for redemption. And they don't have to go that far, do they? <laughs> they can simply search the scriptures, as Jesus said. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think that ye have eternal life. And they are they that speak of me, Jesus said. Now, uh, verse 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks. Boy, that's another moment for which I'm going to ask God to uh, maybe allow us to have an instant replay. 
Because when Joseph and Mary take the eight-year-old, eight-day-old, eight-day-old baby Jesus to the temple for his circumcision, they, they have these two unexpected but blessed encounters. Well-worn examples of patient waiting. Simeon and Anna. So both of these godly old saints recognize Jesus' identity as Messiah. Instantly. Simeon and Anna give us a picture of godly waiting, of godly expectation, and an environment ripe with expectations. Now, the first of these two is when they meet, again, Simeon. We're going to go into depth now about Simeon. He told them what their child would become. Simeon's spirit-inspired utterances in those verses is actually considered a song. Did you know that? It's actually considered an early Testament song. And in broader Christendom, that song has been given a Latin name. The song of, of Simeon is called uh, Nunc Dimittis. And it is from the first few words in its Latin translation. Let me go. Let me depart. And so Simeon tells us in those verses we read that he could now die in peace because he had seen God's Messiah. Now, Simeon, he is a picture of someone rejoicing in fulfilled prophecies. The key verse about Simeon we read, verse 28, he took him, baby Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and praises God. And I think, I think he may have done what, uh, what he could have in his old age, which was tantamount to what people in agriculture called doing didos. When... Uh, when a, a new calf is born and it just is playful and cuts loose and skips and runs. I, I imagine that in his best way, that maybe Simeon was rejoicing and blessing God and, and had his little exaltation moments, maybe jumping up and down, praising and blessing God. You know, uh, people would, used to say, about their sports teams, and some still do, you know, wait till next year, wait till next season, you know. Um, this is tantamount to Simeon's life. Messiah didn't come this year, but there's always next year. And uh, Simeon had a hope, had a dream. God had promised him that he would live to see, he would live to see Messiah. So each year as he grows older, he must have wondered if this is going to be the year. And Simeon was certain he would see Messiah before he died. And we don't know how surprised he was to discover the Savior as a baby in young Mary's arms. But we do know that he recognized Jesus and gave God praise. Praise God for his faithfulness. So when Simeon sees the baby, he considered his life now complete. And I ask you this especially elders in the room tonight. What does it take for you to think that your life is complete, fulfilled? What will complete your life? Will it be the acquisition of things, a nice big retirement account, 401k, or will somehow, some way, Christ himself be that which completes you? Amen. Now, some strengths and accomplishments 
uh, in the life of Simeon, just call some quick observations out. One, we've already observed when he saw the baby Jesus in the temple with Mary and Joseph, God let him know that the promise had been fulfilled. Next, Simeon praised God from the depths of his heart. From the depths of his heart. And then thirdly, waiting for God to fulfill his promises or answer our prayers can be a real test of our endurance and faith, can't it? Waiting on God. And then we're tempted to stop praying or to settle for something less than God's best. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Lessons that we can learn from Simeon's life are, number one, don't lose confidence in God's promises each passing day. Don't lose confidence in God's promises each passing day. And then next, your wait may be as long as Simeon's, but when you see it fulfilled, you're going to have reason to rejoice as he did. There's a pastor that I enjoy down in Texas, Dr. Johnny Pope. And, uh, and he's not ashamed about having what he calls uh, some Shekinah glory moments with the Lord. Where in his personal private devotional time, he'll describe where a, a biblical truth will just so grip him and cause him to rejoice in the Lord. He said sometimes when he's out on a speaking engagement and he's all alone in that hotel or motel room, he'll jump up and down on the bed like kids. And rejoice in the Lord for God's goodness to him, for fulfilled promises and blessings uh, from Christ to us. And I kind of think of uh, Simeon as having finally that moment, saving up all that exaltation for that moment in time. And then um, we're tempted to stop praying or to settle for something less than God's best. Um, So don't lose confidence in God's promises each day. Your wait may be as long as Simeon's, but when you see it fulfilled, you'll have reason to rejoice. I have a friend who's been waiting 45 years for an answer to prayer. He's prayed every day for a member of his family to be saved for 45 years. It's It's one of his children. 45 years. He's not given up. And... And there's been a lot of seasons of grief and weeping for that now late adult child that's been astray all those years. But he's still praying, and he won't give up, and he's counting on the faithfulness of God. Amen. And then those, that's the last lesson we can learn from his life, is God is faithful, he keeps his promises. Now, Simeon's rejoicing, Simeon's exuberance, He's gripped with emotion at this moment in the temple. He's confessing Christ to anybody who will listen. Here it is. Here's Messiah. Here is the consolation of Israel in my arms. He's he's just blurting it out to anybody who will listen in the temple. And I believe that is probably part of what caught Anna's attention as she comes in. Especially since both the stories are coupled together in Luke's account as being in the temple the same day, same time. So, but who is Anna? What do we know? Well, she was another regular in the temple. Anna's brief marriage, we know from the passage, ended in widowhood after just seven years. She's a widow. And she spent the remainder of her 84 plus years serving as a prophetess. 
And Anna likely overheard Simeon's prophetic utterance there in the temple about Jesus and immediately chimes in her own excited words of praise for the Savior. Now you've got two old people cutting loose and singing praise to God. Amen. <laughs> um, but I want to title this section of the message of the outline, the rewards, Anna, the rewards of waiting. <clears throat> so we had Simeon rejoicing in fulfilled prophecy, but now Anna, the rewards of waiting. It says in verse 37, she was a widow of about fourscore, four years, departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Think about it. Anna never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Anna was a well-known member of the temple, the temple community. Um, she was there, just like Simeon, at the moment when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to Jerusalem for the first time. She's probably one of those unforgettable people from the early days of Mary's life with baby Jesus that was shared also with Dr. Luke. And Anna made the temple her home. She felt at home. And though Dr. Luke was writing about I'm sorry, not Dr. Luke, though later the Apostle Paul writes about widows in the church decades later. I believe Paul is well acquainted because Dr. Luke traveled with Paul. I believe Paul is well acquainted with the, with the first gospel and the birth of Christ and all the details. And I, Paul seems to be describing a widow like Anna when he writes in 1 Timothy first, uh, f chapter 5 and verse 5, that widows in need who are left alone, they put their hope in God, and they pray and ask God for help. And the local church is obligated to help those. Some strikes and accomplishments, though, about Anna. She discovered that God can make every stage of life meaningful and useful. Every stage of life, even into your 80s. Do we have some 80-year-olds here tonight? Any 80-year-olds here tonight? Okay. Luke back there? Okay. All right. And then next, the long years of widowhood were also effective years of worship and service. The long years of widowhood were effective years of worship and service. Now, some lessons from Anna's life. Like Anna, we uh, often patiently go about our daily deeds, our daily routines, including faithfulness to the Lord and the assembly of the believers. Anna was a regular at temple worship. How about you? Are you a regular at worship? Let that be the story of your life, amen? Let that be the testimony of your life as you head into old age. Not because you're trying to earn your way to heaven, amen? amen. But because of a, of a pattern of, of love for the Lord and love for the assembly, you're going to be found in church with the believers every time the doors are open, if, if possible. So, like Anna, go through the daily routines of life, but maybe you're waiting for God to reveal a more exciting plan for your life. You're not sure what's going to happen next. But, ask God instead to show you 
your personal potential for this time when it seems like God's doing nothing with you, insignificant, you feel insignificant in the kingdom, ask God to show you what's next so that you might become meaningful and effective in your service for Him. Some people consider it a step down or an insult to be asked to work with children. I don't think Jesus felt that way, do you? Um, And you can do that regardless your age. But God can make every stage of life meaningful. God can make every stage of life meaningful. Now as we wrap it up, some things about both of their lives. Both Anna and Simeon dedicated their lives to God and were rewarded in ways we can only fully appreciate it for willing <coughs> to live like they did. <coughs> Next, as you go about your life and your daily life, as you interact with people of various stages and ages of life, think about the future development of your relationship with God. Like, for instance, if you're talking to a young person, maybe you think to yourself, well, how was... How was God working in my life at that age? How was God working in my life as a child or as a teen or as a young married or as a new parent? Boy, that would give you possible great insights to minister to those younger than you. But what if you're engaged with someone older? You might ask yourself, how do I want my relationship with God to mature by this point in my life? I am thankful for older men in the ministry who made great deposits in my life. I got to spend many hours over over coffee in a coffee shop with evangelist Chuck Crabtree. And uh, he's only about five foot tall. He's half Choctaw Indian and half Irish. I said, brother, that's a combination for a really bad temper. (laughs) But he was a man of God, still alive, still preaching today. He's a man of God. And uh, he would speak and preach at churches and camps all over the country, mostly out west, where I was at in Colorado for all my years of ministry. Mostly Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and every place out west. And, uh, but he would speak at camps all over the country, including the wilds, and uh, He was famously known because when he was a young man, he was a gymnast. And even into his 60s and 70s, he could bench press hundreds of pounds, hundreds of pounds. And I knew him in his 50s and 60s when he could do handstands with his legs straight up on a chair, hands on a chair, straight up, up and down. Still had that strong core of a gymnast. But more than that... He was just so unique. He was just one in a million of the servants of God. And uh, spend time with him and glean from his wisdom. And boy, he would take time to minister to me, knowing that I, I had my own struggles and needs. And boy, he just took time to do that. I'm thankful for different times I got to spend with an older man in the Lord who just went to be with the Lord this last year, Dr. Ed Nelson. I also got to spend one entire afternoon not knowing who I was spending time with, with an older man in a wheelchair, and he just, I was at a music conference one year, and he just spent all afternoon talking with me about, about his philosophy of ministry 
and how he had many concerns about current trends and music in the church. And uh, boy, I just felt, you know, I just felt blessed. I mean, I just spent all afternoon, just him and I, when everybody else was out running and doing activities at the camp, that, that music camp, that music conference. And later I found out, that's how ignorant I was, that I had just spent all afternoon with Al Smith. Yeah. What a blessing. Um, I'm thankful for times I've had to spend uh, in conversation many times with Dr. Frank Garlock. Have him invest um, music philosophy into my heart, my mind, and my life. But some strengths and accomplishments of both Anna and Simeon. Number one, they exercised faith in anticipation, faithful anticipation regarding God's promised Messiah. They did not hesitate to give praise to God for His work in the world. And they both spoke from the life influence, the powerful authority of their faith and age in this world. They had experience. And then lessons from their lives. God does give to some of His faithful followers a deeper insight and clarity about His plans. I like to get with older saints who have a strong walk with the Lord and say, what do you see on the horizon? What do you see on the horizon for the church, for the coming of Christ? Is it near to you? And I like to hear from them. Dr. Ed Nelson spent many of his last few years preaching about the coming of Christ and about revival before the Lord comes. And, um, <clears throat> and then one... Uh, two other points here. There were those in Israel who did recognize Jesus, even in his infancy, that Jesus was Messiah. Those in Israel. wasn't after his resurrection. And then uh, normal aging does not invalidate a person's usefulness in God's purposes. Well, First Baptist Church is a great blend of older believers and younger believers. I love that about this church. And, uh, and so... I ask myself, so what? So what? We'll wrap it up now. Simeon and Anna both, <clears throat> in their age that year, they waited for Messiah's first appearing. And we, now, in the church age, we wait with the blessing and the benefit of the indwelling Holy Spirit and of a local church family. We wait for Messiah's second appearing. And then we embark on a new year. What are your goals for 2023? What are your goals for 2023? Did you write some? I have a list I made of 12 goals. I'm out of time to share those, but I'm going to wrap it up with this last, next to last, last slide here. In conclusion, skip to that slide, guys. Like Simeon, like Simeon, be this. Bless God. Count God faithful and be attending regularly the community of believers and confess Christ publicly. That's what they did. And then like Anna, be thankful, serve in the community of believers regularly, and confess Christ publicly. That's what we can do. Make Christ known and serve in the company of believers. Let's pray. Oh, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. How many would say, I needed that encouragement and I needed some of the things that were said there. Um, and I'm asking God to do a work in my life. Could I see your hand if that's you? Yes, yes, amen.
Amen. Yes, yes. Thank you. Put your hands down. And then how many would say, well, I haven't taken much time to set goals for the next year, uh, but by God's grace, I'll set some uh, with the Lord's guidance. I want to set some tangible, achievable goals for 2023. Could I see your hand if that's you? Amen. Amen. My hand is there too. Lord, I'm thankful for these, your precious saints, to minister your word to them tonight. I pray, God, that you would help us to love your appearing, to look for your appearing, and to long for your appearing. It may be what days we have left in 2022, just days left, or it may be 2023, it may be decades from now, but Lord, we're going to look for it, we're going to love it, and we're going to long for it. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.